ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, Terra Master, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. GPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV dampener with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Matt Hancock, welcome to ATV Talk, or I should say welcome back. It's been a little while. How are you, sir? Good, good. Yeah, I can't remember uh, what episode I was on, but and it was uh, six or eight months ago now. So you've got quite a few more of them out now, and can everybody get in their turn at it? And it's cool to be back. I think you were in the first 30. I think so. Yeah, I think, uh, I, remember, I think it was right after Danny Prather's first one and some of those other ones. Yeah, we're... We're, uh, we have over 150 episodes downloaded. Wow. Dang, that happened fast. Uh, yeah, the, today we hit 72,000 downloads. Uh, we're in 90 countries and uh, we're, we're rolling, you know. Wow. It's going. Uh, now, is it what you expected to be this big so far or what? I never envisioned that I would even worry about it being big. I was worried about getting the story out, you know. Yeah. No, it's pretty cool. You got that many people and everybody's still doing a couple episodes and still got plenty more to talk about too. Keep everybody interested. Um, I have a running list of people that I want to talk to um, that I think mm-hmm. would be great on the show. Um, some people are just super busy. Some people don't understand what it is, so they don't want to do it. Um, and then some people out of the blue pop in that I had no idea that I wanted to have him on the show. No, so, that's cool. It makes it exciting. Um, yeah. And I do everything. I try to do everything unscripted. Um, the girls are trying to get me to script at least five questions <laughs> to start every episode, but I'm reluctant to do this. I, I, I like the raw conversation. I think everybody does, you know? Uh, yeah. It keeps it. I mean, you can kind of hear what everybody wants to talk about and not, but everybody starts to change their ideas or their suggestions or what they say to it. Just you get what they actually mean by it because you don't really get the time to think about it. Well, it's your words. It's your story. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that brings me to the picture I saw on Facebook of the family with no mat. Yeah. Uh, no. So uh, I started feeling kind of sick on Friday. So what was Christmas was, uh, was Saturday. Uh, Christmas was, uh, uh well, saturday this year i guess so started feeling kind of off on friday but it was around some quite a bit of hay and stuff on at work so I'm like, oh, maybe it's just allergies and and so uh uh i didn't know what was going on and then i woke up saturday morning and was feeling off so um my mom had a couple of stay-at-home or the at-home covid test things so i ran over there real quick before everybody got over there and took two different tests and tested positive for covid um christmas morning so uh i hadn't got it gotten it yet and so it was definitely a bummer to have it happen over christmas uh i love getting to spend time with my nieces and nephews um they're the fun ones i i get to go enjoy and spend time with so um that was a bummer i came home because obviously i didn't want to 
get anybody else sick or pass it along to them, um, to my parents or uh, any of them. So I uh, decided to come home and just kind of hang out at the house and got a bunch of odds and ends done. But it was definitely a weird Christmas for me. Not used to that. So um, my sister and her husband got it over last Christmas. And then so we kind of get to hopefully get it out of the way now. So. Right on. I hear, I hear you, but you're okay. No side effects. Yeah. For me, it was more like a mild cold. So I was sick in November a little bit with the, uh, of the cold and it was worse for me than actual COVID was. So I was pretty fortunate about that. So I stayed at home for a couple of days over the weekend and then I was going nuts. I don't know how everybody was staying quarantined for two weeks. And luckily they just announced that what is it? Five days of quarantine and then you're good. So yeah. I stayed home and then uh, Monday I went to work, but I just stayed in my pickup and stayed away from everybody. Didn't have to stop at this gas station or anything. So I went there just to get out of the house for a few hours and then uh, waited my five days and then went back to doing things. So the the weirdest part, I think, was feeling okay and still just needing to stay home. So got stuff done in the garage and the shop and my house. So that was nice. Just the timing sucked. Um, so what do you do? Me, I'm a farmer, but uh, I do a lot of random stuff, I guess you could say. Um, but my, uh, my, I guess my job title is, uh, it was farmer slash racer, but I've kind of taken a step back from the racing thing. So I focus a little bit on the farming thing. So uh, now but, uh, by trade, I'm a farmer. Um, and that's what your dad basically does is runs the farms. Mm-hmm. Um, are you taking it over for him? I hope to one day eventually. So, um, just hope to learn everything I can from him and everybody we work with. And, uh, I mean, obviously the, the goal will be to work with him forever, but, um, we, uh, no, I, so I work with my dad and then I also have branched out a little bit and I picked up, uh, I guess in the beginning of 2020, uh, about 3000 acres of my own farm, um, down in Southern Arizona. So kind of between Yuma and Gila Bend, um, and so I've been staying fairly busy with that and just recently picked up a little bit more acres down there. And, um, that's one of the reasons for my stepping back from racing is to try and focus on getting things cleaned up there and, and, uh, give give it my full effort. So, um, it definitely takes a lot of my time. And so, um, I want to be able to put my full effort into it that it needs and, and try and get it operating smoothly. So I work with my dad still, I talk to him, work with him every day. Um, so that's, I mean, it's a blessing on itself just to be able to work with my dad, but, um, it's been exciting to, since I started farming and then branched out of my own a little bit and, um, getting experience that. Okay. I'm confused. What happened to doc Hancock? I don't know. Dude, you were going to be a doctor. Ah, man. I started to be a civil engineer, uh, got tired of school. I ended up graduating with an engineering degree. Um, and just got tired of sitting at a desk every day. Um, so I actually, I took a couple different, I guess, went worked at a few different jobs. I worked in construction for a little bit. Um, then I went back to doing the engineering thing. I was a civil engineer doing like subdivisions and commercial developments, residential developments, uh, the design and stuff for that roads and sewers and water systems and stuff for those. I did that for about a year and a half. And I just frankly got tired of sitting at a desk all day. Um, so definitely I enjoyed what I do or what I was doing. Um, I really enjoy to learn. Um, so I like that part of it. So that kept me learning and growing with that, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do forever. Um, so it was my chance to go back to the farming thing. There was the office where we were, I had farm fields right across the street and I could see them out the window from my desk. And every day I just knew I wanted to be out there. Um, but I still had to sit at my desk and do my job, which I didn't hate, but it wasn't what I wanted to do forever. So I left the engineering world and went back to farming. And that was in 2018, 2019. And then I did that, um, and came back to farming full time and very happy that I did. So, well, you grew up farming with your dad too, didn't you? I did off and on. And, um, I did, I worked in a motorcycle shop a little bit. I uh, work with my dad quite a bit I think growing up, especially just at the house and then also going to the farm some, but, um, yeah. And that's what I, I enjoyed doing when I was a kid growing up and 
I mean, what kid doesn't want to play with tractors all day? And so now I get to do it. Uh, I do it every day and I, I spend a lot less time in the tractor than I'd like to. Um, more of the time it seems like is in my truck chasing my tail or getting things organized or situated and making plans and doing that sort of thing. But, uh, eventually every once in a while I, I try and make myself spend some time in the tractor and, um, whenever, as much as I can, at least. And it, it's, uh, my little getaway from everything. So. Well, your dad is a mainstay. You know, I have always enjoyed every encounter I have with him because he is just one hell of a nice guy. I really, really think he is an amazing man. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's, it's cool. Cause the, everybody always asked me the, on the racing thing that, um, my dad was always at the races and, um, when my brother was racing, it was the same way. People would always look for the best Nezzer races. People would always look for my dad's cowboy hat. They always had a cowboy hat on and it was easy to pick in the pits when all the trucks are parked next to each other and you're driving down the pits, you don't know where anybody's parked. And you just, my dad would just walk out and everybody would just know, okay, you go to where you until you see Larry and, and you're there. And, um, the racing was just as much his hobby as, as ours growing up. He would, I mean, the people that we met and everybody is like our second family. And uh, we saw them a lot of times more than our own family. And so my dad was always right in the middle of everybody. It was his favorite thing. And, and going to the races, it was our, a family affair for sure. So we, we definitely had a good time. He, he made sure everybody knew him and, and was had no problem driving in the middle of everybody's pits and making friends with anybody. He had that damn dog with him in that part <laughs> and a cocktail with him no matter what, it didn't matter hot cold whatever he, you know he was he yep. was number yeah that mean dog bo uh yeah he uh he took that dog everywhere and they made their rounds for sure it was like they'd show up typically on saturdays for the and saturday and sunday for the races and he'd show up to the race he'd basically say hi to us and then he'd jump in the ranger and take off and him and the dog would go visit everybody because they hadn't seen him for a month or so and uh you know, he sees us all the time. So he just wanted to go see all of his other friends that, that didn't bug him every day. He so. always had a handshake and a kind word. And yeah, I, exactly. I really enjoyed that. You know, you could, you could yeah. be busting your ass to be dead tired and <laughs> just wondering what am I doing? And he big old smile on his face. How you doing? You know, and just, pull up, start honking and, and bug you and, until you came over and start uh, and at least lighten the mood a little bit. It, it was cool. Cause we, at the races, it, it almost, ever race, no matter where we were at, my dad would find some random place to go park on the side of the track and watch just because yep. he gets more uh, as nervous or more nervous than, uh, I ever would, or most of the racers would, and he'd get all antsy with it. And he, like I said, he, he loved it, loved going. And, um, so we, he'd be out on the side of the track where you'd be cruising along. And all of a sudden you see him and his ranger sitting there on the side of the track somewhere. How the heck do you even get here? <laughs> and, uh, he'd be sitting there waving you on and, uh, it'd be funny. We'd be talking about it at the races and, um, the race was like, Hey, I saw your dad out there. Uh, saw your dad here, saw your dad there. And it was kind of fun. It was part, yeah. the whole part of the event. Exactly. Did he ever pop up at any of the best, best of the desert races anywhere he wasn't supposed to be? Not as much. Cause we're, you know how those races go. You have such a time crunch to get to each pit. Um, so he didn't really have as much time to go mess around and, and adventure as much there. We always gave him, uh, plenty of tasks of he usually took the riders whether it's me or my brother josh or whoever we were or nick rather than some but whoever was riding um it was his job to take them to the next pit so he once he was given his mission then nothing really got in the way of that so he would just jump leapfrog with everybody and get us to the next pit that's pretty awesome he definitely would have tried if, if we would have let him but oh, he was I'm on sure. pretty on pretty strict orders on get us to the next pit so we can get back on the quad so it was a good time that brings me to my, my question. You raced quads in works best in the desert. You won a best in the desert championship with your brother, uh, which mm-hmm. has probably got to be one of the highlights of your quad career. Absolutely. Um, you raced pro. Um, and then you transitioned to UTVs. Do you miss the quad? There's days I miss it. I miss the competition part of it. Like you said, I mean, racing so much, racing all the local series. And then I won the expert championship in best in desert, won the pro championship in best in desert. Like you said, the pro championship, the expert was with Josh Edwards. Uh, who was like a brother to me growing up. We raced so much together. So that was cool. And then getting to actually win it with the pro championship uh, with my brother. Um, 
that was like that was by far one of the highlights of my racing career in general atvs side by side you name it it was that was cool we um he'd been through a lot we'd all been through a lot and so to kind of come together we decided at the beginning of the year that year or to the to the end of the year before is like hey let's go try and do this we both loved racing desert and i was kind of coming in at more of my prime and my desert racing stuff and he was coming back into racing and like hey let's go give it a shot and see if we can run with these guys uh, those guys were ripping it was jeremy gray and robbie and uh dave and and danny they were just on top of the world at the time and like man i don't know if we can run with those guys but let's give it a shot so uh at the beginning of the year it's like you're right a record it's your deal let's let's go out and have some fun and we go out to the first race and we win it and uh it kind of hooked us for the year that um it was it was pretty exciting to do that with him and get to race with him that year um we almost swept the series that year we uh probably to some poor riding by me on that last race it was super cold and i guess it's the excuse i'll live with forever um just was off that day we had the championship wrapped up so i think we ended up second for the day but um just definitely didn't have the race i needed to do to beat jeremy and um, robbie that day but it was still cool to be able to lock up the championship and, and do that with my brother. That is pretty cool. Jeremy Gray is a pretty fast guy. Man, there was, yeah, that year it was, it was fun. Uh, those Jeremy and, and Robbie and like I said, Dave and Danny, that was the year Danny had his pretty big get off um, there at Vegas Torino and I'm trying to think Trent Kendall, he rode good. Um, there was a bunch of guys that were fun to race with and just anybody could have won and, and so that's what kind of made it fun. We could go out there, be competitive. Um, and we were all been racing each other for so long that it was, it was a good time. I mean, the uh, Vegas Torino, I think, was it someone forgot gas cans or they blew out of the truck or something. And Danny Prather was trying to round up gas cans and we gave him a couple of our extra IMS dump cans before the race. And they were our main competition. And so we got to, I mean, we were all close enough that we had a good time. And we, my brother had, uh, race with alan knowles for a long time and uh so it was kind of a big family competition and we'd been racing each other for so long that it really uh made that part fun too just we give each other a hard time in the pits and just enjoyed the whole atmosphere of it i like i like racing best in the desert i think that they're a organization that that truly cares about the racers still i mean that's just my take on it the way they've treated <laughs> the way they treated us we were out in um caliente mm -hmm. and we were sighting the pits before the race the day before just driving to the pits just to see where they were you know just getting a little familiar mm -hmm. and um casey folks's son uh, i don't even know which one it was was out riding a motorcycle on the course you know checking markers and everything and we're like, what the hell is this? Somebody's cheating. So we're we're staying there, you know, and then we see a best in the desert official coming and we're like, hey, you know, somebody's out there riding. And they go, yeah, dummy, that's the boss. Yeah, he can ride all day. <laughs> yeah, he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, like, so back to your question, I guess the, uh, I definitely miss the competition part of it. Um, I guess I got to a, the level of racing that I, it wasn't, I couldn't give it the effort. I, I didn't have the desire to give it the effort that it needed to be competitive at that level um, to compete against Bo and Davey and those guys. Like I felt like I, I rode pretty well. Uh, I was just, I needed that next little jump to be able to do the things I needed to do to be competitive in the pro level. Um, and it, it's not that uh, I didn't have the drive to do it. I just didn't have the want to do it um, to to shift up when I needed to shift up one more or hit the net, that big triple or, or do those things. Um, at the time I just, I guess I had different priorities, um, than to take that extra risk. And if you can't take that, and for me, it was kind of, I, I, one of the reasons I stepped away is because, um, I couldn't do that. I couldn't give it the full that I needed to be, to be competitive and at the level I was at. And so that's kind of why I took a step back. I, I got to where I was kind of worried about getting hurt just because we were doing big jumps and doing big things and going really fast. And, and so I started worrying about things like that that I never really worried about before. Um, just cause you're, when you're going that fast, you're just so much on the edge all the time. Um, you have to really want to be on the edge all the time 
or else, or, or else that's when things happen. So when I started thinking about that more and, and thinking more about those things when I was riding, instead of focusing on the riding itself, that's when I decided to and just take a step back um, and see if kind of regroup and see if I was going to miss it or, or what, what I really wanted to do racing. And so that's when I decided to stop ATV racing and, and switch primarily to the side-by-side. Um, not that it's any safer, but it was just a, a different racing for me to get my head away from the quads and away from that side of racing and, and kind of regroup. And, um, I missed it. Definitely. It was weird to watch the races against people that have been racing. It's forever to actually watch them line up and take off so to be up there with them. Um, but I was glad I did it when I did, um, I'd done a lot of the things I wanted to do. Um, a few I didn't, I guess still, but, um, it was, it was, I guess it was time for me. So I just felt like I wasn't doing it because I enjoyed it so much. It was just because it was what I did. So that's why I kept doing it. And, and, uh, and so when I was finally made the decision to stop ATV racing, I was glad I did. Well, it worked out for you. Um, mm -hmm. when you switched to the UTV, you raced for Polaris and Can-Am correct so yeah i was a factory driver for can-am in 2015 and uh, i was uh never a factory a driver for polaris they'd helped me a lot over the years um but never made it to the, the factory level with them um can-am was really good to me and coming through the amateur ranks racing against davy um they'd come to one of the races and watch the two of us just duke it out in the amateur class there was a 1000 class it's kind of like the a class and we just duked it out and kind of checked out and they came to us at the end of there and when we were getting ready to move up to the pro class and they really stepped it up for me and, and kind of transit helped transition me into the pro class and they hadn't released a new car yet. And so the, the car wasn't maybe quite up to par as what the, the razor was at the time. And, and so, and at, I, at the time I was just starting college, so I didn't really know how much I could focus on the racing thing. So I started, uh, with Can-Am and then after my first year with Can-Am, um, I was getting into my engineering classes and those sort of things. And I didn't really know if I was actually gonna be able to race. Um, I didn't want to sign a contract with somebody and not be able to fulfill it and do what I told them I would do and give a full effort to it. So, um, I opted out of the contract with them for the following year. And, um, that way I could do my schoolwork and, and do that sort of thing, but also race. Well, <laughs> I guess because I'm a glutton for punishment sometimes, um, I ended up racing, two cars the next year and ATVs and raced a full AT local series. And I, uh, so it, I was planning on taking a little bit of a step back from racing those years, but I guess I decided to dive in head first. So then I went in the pro class with, uh, racing two different razors and one of the turbo class and one of the, the naturally aspirated class. And, and that's kind of how I transitioned from Can-Am to Polaris. Um, it was in 2016 and 2017 and kind of st and stayed with Polaris from there on out. And, and you stopped racing at the end of this last year, uh, mm -hmm. in, in 20 and 21, excuse me, 21, mm -hmm. um, round one's a few weeks away. How are you feeling right now? It, it's weird. Uh, like I, we were talking it briefly before this deal, when the next, the first round's coming up, it, it's, it's weird not thinking about it, but I kind of tried to do that every year. Um, coming into the year, we, we'd get to the works typically end early November, first, second week in November, and we'd have half of November and December off. And that was my regroup time. I tried to take at least all of November when I was racing quads or even the side by stuff and just kind of get completely away from it. I really enjoy to hunt. So I would try and go hunting and, and do things like that in the off season and, and get away and regroup, clear my head. And then now we would come into the new year, new season. I'd be fresh, ready to go, wanting to race, wanting to be hungry to win and, and do those sort of things. So I'm kind of in the same mode. Um, but it's definitely weird not thrashing to prep cars or prep ATV and, and that sort of thing. It, it that's been real weird or, or talking with sponsors and, and doing that sort of thing. So it was definitely strange. Um, I've had plenty going on with work and those sort of things and other projects that I've been working on. So I, I think that's definitely made the time go faster and smoother, but it was definitely weird. Um, when I left that prim race, the last round, it, I got a podium on one of the days, so it went okay, but it wasn't quite the year I was hoping for in 21. 
and that, that wasn't the reason why I quit racing, but, um, didn't have a, just had a bunch of little gremlins follow me through the years, had a good race and then a couple bad races and a good race and a couple bad races, but coming home from prim, it was, it was nice just to, I kind of had a weight off my shoulders that I wasn't used to for the last few years. Uh, just trying to overthink everything. And I, I don't want to give anything a half effort. So, um, it was, I was really struggled with the racing the last couple of years, or I guess really the last year that I wasn't giving it the effort that it deserved my racing career deserved. Um, I felt like I gave it a really good effort with it and, and did everything that I needed to do. Um, but that extra effort that, that I needed to put into it to win and, and to compete with these guys is it wasn't there. I didn't have the time to give it to it. And so I guess I wasn't necessarily being fair to myself. I felt like, um, and that was one of the reasons for stepping away. If I couldn't give myself a fair effort to go out there and be, have a shot at winning every race or having a shot to win, um, or compete how I knew I could drive, then that's where I needed to step away. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with that. You have to, you have to take everything, um, in stride. Um, did, did the change in your team have any effect on you? No, it, that it was because my team's pretty much been, they're like Rex, he's kind of been the staple to go with me to the races for a while. And, and so, um, with that, uh, he and I would go to the races and travel and that nothing really changed with that the last couple of years. And, and so that didn't have a whole lot to do with it per se. Um, there was just, I've been trying to focus a lot on the farm stuff and, and was starting a new company in 2020. It was a, kind of a rough time to do it with the whole COVID nonsense and, and all everything that that brought along with it. So to give that an eff the effort that, um, like that my employees deserve my effort into that place. Um, they gave their effort to me. And so I just, they deserve that from me to give my effort to the place. And, and I deserved it to myself. Um, so when I'd come home or getting ready for a race, the week of the race was just complete crash. Like just go to work all day, stay there, end up being there late. Cause that's just how things go the week of a race and come home and thrash on the trailer and the cars and just get everything ready. And, and then go to the race go hard all weekend and then come home and start for Monday. And you, you know how it goes when you get home from a race, it's not a vacation by any means. And so you get home and, and start all over again. And, and so a lot of that just kind of wore on me and just got burned out partly maybe from that. Um, so it was one of those things where every time I felt like I needed to be home or necessarily, or, or be here at, at the farm or doing other things, I, it's always landed when there was a race that weekend. Um, whether that's how it landed or just my head was, that's just kind of what I felt and why I was wanting to get a step away from racing it when I didn't want to be there. Um, or I just kept wanting to be somewhere else. And, and then when your head's not in it, you can't be competitive. Um, we're just going too fast and going, I mean, these side by sides, we're jumping hundred and some odd foot step ups and, and doing really big jumps and going really fast. So you need to be all there. Um, if you're not all there and, and paying attention and focused and doing the things that we do, then you're going to get hurt. You're going to break stuff. You're just wasting your time. And, and I enjoy driving, but for me, I enjoy competition. So, um, I may not have won a lot. Uh, I was kind of the guy that was just got seconds and thirds and I, uh, I'll have to look where I wrote it down. Um, I'll have to look here in a minute, but the, uh, I was more of a podium guy not a winning guy. Uh, I won a handful of races in my career, but, um, I think it was, I ended up, so I, I had been racing worst racing for like over 11 years. I haven't missed a worst race. Um, and I've got, what was it like 15 or 20 wins? Um, it was, I want to say 80 podiums and like a hundred and something top fives. So I was pretty consistent in the top five and top three range. The wins eluded me a lot. Um, whether it was a lot of things that it, to me, it was, I always enjoyed competition anyway. So I was cool with it. I got beat by Davey a lot. I got beat by Bo a lot coming up through the amateur ranks, the side-by-sides. It was me and Davey 
And typically it was the two of us battling and I'd finish on his bumper. So I got a lot of second place and coming up in the ATV ranks, it was uh, Mike Sloan and I, I mean, I, you were building his bike at the time. And so you saw, I got to see a lot of it. It was he and I duking it out and he'd always get, he'd get first a lot and I'd get second a lot. And, and so uh, it was always the podium guy, but for me, I didn't want to be out there and be in eighth place, 10th place, 12th place, sixth place, fifth place, do those things. I mean, I'm there to try and win and compete. That's what I enjoy. I don't enjoy just going out there and driving and getting beat up all the time. And so um, that's where that kind of happened this last year. And and that wasn't fun for me. So describe something to me and I want you to, I want you to talk me through the events. Mm -hmm. So I keep up on racing when I can't be there um, through different sites, a little bit of Facebook, a little bit of Instagram. There's other places that you can go and get information, YouTube, so on and so forth. Uh, Or you just get uh, information through other racers. So Mm -hmm. I get this photo and uh, a caption that says, Matt Hancock's retiring. (laughs) What? And then I see this car upside down and I'm thinking, wow, really? So he's retiring because he's upside down. (laughs) No. And what's ironic on that deal. So um, I made it my entire side-by-side career without flipping a razor. Um, The very last race, uh, it was, I I got along with the guy really well. And um, I'm, I got a little excited. I think he got a little excited. And so anyway, I I was taken out, uh, at, at the last, my very last weekend was prim here uh, at the end of the year at the side by side world finals for works. And there was a two day event. S- Saturday was the short course on the Lucas track. And Sunday was the, uh, the long normal course. And I raced turbo and stock. So we made it through the short course. I got a podium in that uh, racing with RJ and Bo, Bo judge. And so to finish set third behind those guys, I thought was, I was pretty excited about um, come into Sunday here with the last off-road race and i get a pretty good jump i'm um was it first or second i think i was second off the line and coming up to one of the corners and i get hit we're supposed to check up for this jump everyone checks up but one guy i get hit and i go standing through the air upside down cartwheeling through the air so that was the first time ever racing a razor that i ended up on my lid luckily i landed on my tires and i kept going so that worked out but i was pretty proud of that for so long that and then the uh the very next race was the turbo or a couple races in between but the next one was the turbo race and uh i got a pretty good start so i flipped in that race in the stock race I ended up fifth or sixth just by the time i came back and um or i was running fifth or sixth and then from the accident it broke a trailing arm and it ended up finally giving way about halfway through the race um so i broke in that one and then the turbo race comes around and I'm out running. I get a good start. I'm in third behind uh, Bo Judge and RJ, and we get about oh, we were probably a little over halfway through the race, and uh, an A arm uh, pin broke. That goes the spindle pin broke, and so it broke landing on a jump, and then I come around the corner, the other side broke, and so I couldn't tell what was wrong, and I felt that something was up in the steering, but it was right there in the infield, and so I'm like, oh, I got one more corner to make. Roll through a couple jumps, and I can pull in the pit, and we can see if we can get it fixed. And I can just keep going to go finish. It was, it was my last race. I wanted to finish that thing. So I go to go around the last corner. Well, the since the pin had broke, it finally ended up breaking the other pin. And the wheel turned sideways and I was going around the corner. And it just locked up, turned me sideways and pulled me com- just completely left over the berm. Well, the other side of the berm was just a drop off. So it was really, really slow, like five mile an hour. It pulls me over the edge of the berm and I flip again. Mm-hmm. I go eight years of racing a razor or six years, whatever it was racing a razor or side by side, never flip once. I do it both times on the last day of my racing and both classes. And so I crawl out and it was real slow motion, but it was in front of everybody. So we came running to make sure I was okay. And I jump up on top out of the window that was not on the ground. And uh, I'm sitting on top of the car and uh, Kenny Sanford pulls up little Kenny and, I was just sitting there, just shaking my head, just in kind of disbelief that this is how I'm going out and not going out with a win or going out on top. But I'm like, I'm going out sitting on top of my car. This, and this is definitely not my MO. So I was just sitting there laughing. I couldn't help but laugh. 
I always tried to make light of situations, I guess, and enjoy the situations. But I was sitting there and he pulled up and he had his, he pulled his, his phone out and I couldn't help but smile. And that was, I'm sure the picture you were referencing, but, uh, it was a good memory to have. And I guess, but it was just kind of ironic that the last race of my the last few races, it, I flipped in both of them. And one of them, I guess, wasn't my fault, but the other one you could call my fault just because the car broke and I kept tried to keep going. Well, and it just didn't pan out for me. You knew as soon as I heard, I reached out. Yeah. You yep. Know, hey, yeah, you said, what, what's fun. the news I hear? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I mean, because you, you got to figure as long as I've been doing it, uh, I watched you come in mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, that met your family. I'd already known your brother, mm-hmm. you know, from the years before that. You know, when it, you just a, when you were just a tag along. Yeah. My, my second race I ever did was a works race there at speed world. I want to say it was in 2005. Yeah, it was 2005. I was racing a blaster at the time and, uh, it was, it was a good time, but no, was, I mean, you guys were all there, but a lot of the, there was I've seen a lot of people come and go and it was, it was cool to see. And we'd been talking about it for a long time and just to kind of who had been there the longest and, the Ells, uh, Ellsworths had been there for a long time and, and Bo had been there for a long time and we're kind of, uh, the snows, they were around, they kind of in and out and just kind of, and I mean, of course you, um, and so just kind of, it, it was interesting to just go through and kind of see who was new, who'd been around for a long time and kind of see the change, kind of talk about the changes that we'd seen. From, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you how long I've been around. <laughs> the beginning, probably. I won the first amateur works race. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Tavis Kane won the first pro race. Doug Eichner got second. Man, and I think my brother was going, I think, the, some of the first ones there. He was racing a Raptor 660, however long ago that was. And, uh, yeah, so I remember going to a lot of them. And so it's cool to see the series still going, still going strong. And um, with Randy in there and um, just pretty much all everybody who's owned it is, is it's been fun, good to work with people have their mixed feelings of Sean. I got along with Sean pretty well. And, uh, he, he put a series together where we could go race and have a good time. And, and uh, so, I mean, I always thank him for that. So it was, a, it was a good time. I, I kind of like the, the early Sean better. <laughs> I, mean, I never had a problem with Sean. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, but the early Sean was the guy that was the go getter. He was building a program. The ATVs were growing. You know, you had more options to race um, for the pro guys, you know, when, when Sean was there um, in the beginning. I'd love to see Randy bring some of that schedule back. I think it would grow the ATV side of it better. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion, you know, for whatever it's worth, which is not much. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's a lot of fun watching the different people that come and go. You know, I mean, the first ATV works race was in Laughlin, Nevada, Laughlin, Nevada in 2001. Yeah, no, and like, I, I think a lot of people would say that about, or about Sean and Sean, like I said, I I got along great with Sean and, um, I was, one day I was standing there at the, I think it was registration and listen to some of the stuff. And even I've seen it with Randy and with everybody is the crap they deal with. (laughs) I got to tell people, I, I couldn't deal with it, deal with that. I would, it, you'd have to really love racing to put up with that crap for a long, that long and truly enjoy it still. And not, it'd be tough to not let other people, whether they're just a weekender that decided to show up and hated the series and decided to go vent to the promoter, but every issue goes straight to the promoter and you get to hear all the gripes and complaints and never really any pats on the back. And so I can imagine what those guys go through to, and granted we've all given them suggestions and stuff and, and had, we've all had our run-ins with different promoters and things, but man, I, <laughs> there's a special place for some of those guys for dealing with the crap that they dealt with and to keep going just because people, I would, I think people would ruin it for, for me personally. I think so. I, I like Randy's approach. Randy just doesn't, it just rolls off his back. He just doesn't, Hey, this is the program that I'm offering. I'm sorry. You don't like it. I, you know, I gotta go take care of this deal over here. Sorry. Yeah. No, and it's kind of got, you got to kind of be that way. And it's, it's not the, uh, 
the customer's always right mentality, but we all know how that doesn't work anyway. And so it's, Hey, this is what I'm offering. I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, I'm open to suggestions, but don't come at me because this is the program we're running and I hope you enjoy it. But, uh, if you don't like it respectfully, you can go somewhere else. From a racer standpoint, you should just be thankful that that man decided to spend his hard earned money to, to buy that series and run it and allow, and allow you to come and race there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and we've all seen yeah. it. I mean, like with big six, I mean, when I was really racing quads a lot, uh, racing with Bo quite a bit and riding with him, I let him talk me into going to all the big six races for, uh, I think it did one year or two years of it and, uh, or did most of them. And there for ATVs, especially there's the difference right there. I mean, we'd show up for the longest time. We didn't even get a practice. We'd take off our first lap of the race was our only site lap we ever got. And then eventually they finally added a practice in. And um, a lot of that was because of Bo pushing for it so much. And, and the ATV program was getting bigger at the time there. Um, but it was, uh, it, it kind of gave you an eye opening for it because you go to that, that AMA race. And I know you've talked about before, you're not a real big fan of AMA. And, um, but you go to those district races and, um, you're the outcast by they they'd rather see the sidecars out on the track than ATVs. And it, it's, and we would legitimately race with the sidecars. So you'd be out there trying to pass sidecars. And I mean, there were some pretty fast guys between Bo and Jeremy Gray. And I mean, I feel like I rode pretty good at the time and, and we're out there duking it out with some sidecars on the hills on all the hills at Glen Helen. It's like, we're not trying to die today. Just let us go fast. Let us do our thing. And, right. and we're out there. And they're like, okay, you're lucky you get to even do the 45 minutes, get out there, get out of the way and get it done. And then give us, give us your $50 or $75, whatever the entry fee was. And, right. and it was like, uh, we're just, we paid just as much as the bike guys to come ride. And we're the last one of the weekend. So it's not like we're tearing the track up. And then and, they short uh, you two laps. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Like, oh, we decided to drop the checker flag. And, and usually it was Bo in first and me in second. So it's like, ah, oh, man. I was hoping Bo was going to break the last lap and I maybe could have caught him, but, uh, <laughs> probably not, <laughs> probably not. So I guess we'll call it today and save some gas money, but no, we had, I'm believe it or not though, the big six track layouts at the time were uh, so much fun. The prim layout, they had a Glen Helen layout where we did all like kind of all the hilltops, which we didn't really get to do in works very much. So I, I will give them that they, they treated quads like crap, but they did lay out a pretty good track. Some of the stuff was pretty narrow for bikes. We could fit through it, but it was that was a good time. I liked most of their their layouts. You know, I, I enjoyed some of the big six stuff. Twenty nine Palms is the one race that I never raced that I've always wanted to. If I, is that the one I'm thinking? Of? Yeah, that's the one that is super fast. Is the, the asphalt uh, section? Yeah, that one. That one is. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Twenty Nine Palms there the uh that one was sketchy you're just going way too fast and way too many places we have no idea where you're going uh kind of like a best in desert race um at least this one you're set up on a gp setup so you're a little a little more agile and can turn the bike and ride the quad a little bit more other than the quad riding you but um that helped but no was, i just remember we'd always go there and it just you're just going way too fast but it was a good time but the, the track was pretty fun, but it just, you'd have to be a desert guy to like it. Uh, yeah. I just, from the experience that I have, see, you were, you came into GP racing when they gave you a site lap or they gave you practice. Mm-hmm. I came into it back in the old days where your site lap was when the green flag dropped. Yeah. Like best in the desert is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was in, no, I mean, I raced, doing- like, we raced works for three years with no practice you show up on Friday night and race Saturday yeah no I mean like GNCC is the same way today I think and so there's definitely something to it um I enjoyed that part a little bit at Best in Desert it it would have been nice with Best in Desert being part of it I guess that it was the same way it was it was good sometimes everybody's on the same level but there's a lot of those uh, like little ridges and stuff that you would crest over and really wish you knew what was on the other side before you jumped over the top of it at 85 mile an hour, 80, 85 miles an hour. Um, 
hoping there wasn't a boulder or a turn on the other side because sometimes they forget to mark those things. Um, but other than that, it kind of brought a whole new fun to it. How, how fun is Vegas Torino? That, that race, uh, my, my favorite best Nether race, and maybe it's because it's kind of like a home hometown track for me was the Parker races. Um, they're a little rougher. They were, they graded them all now, but, uh, Vegas Torino was a blast. I, I wadded it up two years, really, really bad. I got very lucky. It was pretty much the only two times I rode a 700 XX. And, um, and that was probably part of the problem. I didn't spend enough time re- getting used to the bike and readjusting my riding. You don't ride it the same as you ride a 450, um, by not even close. And, um, the one year I car wheeled that thing across the desert, it, uh, hit a rock wall and just cartwheeled it, broke the handlebars in half, broke the throttle cable, broke a shock in half, cracked the frame. And, uh, this was all it like mile marker. And the first year was at mile marker 40 and <laughs> right out of pit, right out of pit one was the year we were doing the expert class. And, uh, so get out of pit one and you go just a little bit. And I hit a rock, like this big rock boulder. Um, cause they start some of the, dangers they put up or for trophy trucks and stuff when you're doing 120 that really aren't dangers so it gets to the point when you get to the level you can't really slow down for all the dangers you're not going to go fast enough you're going to lose so this is that was the one i decided to shift up on and not actually slow down to and it was absolutely one i should have slowed down for um so i hit this rock wall and it fucked me up and i'm riding the front tires and finally i got some sense and said i need a bail before this quad lands on me those, I don't remember how much those things weighed, but those yeah. big 700 XXs are not something that you want to land on. So finally, I just bailed off the quad and kind of threw myself away from it. I can hear it chasing me, cartwheeling behind me, and it stops. It's upside down, and I flip it over, and handlebars are broke, and just everything's gone to hell. And uh, we, we were in the lead. I mean, granted, it was a first lap pit, so it doesn't that doesn't mean anything at those races. But the uh, uh, got back going, got back on my quad, flipped it back over and I saw the throttle cable was broken. So I wrapped the, the tube. We used the twist throttle. So the tube was broke. I wrapped the throttle cable around my finger and uh, started it and pulled on it and it worked. So I took right back off. I was kind of dumb at the time, I guess, and took back off. I had one side of the handlebars and I'm going pretty slow for the first few miles and it's Vegas Torino. So a lot of it's pretty flat and fast and well, maybe I can shift up a little bit and shift up again and next thing you know i'm wide open on the 700 with one handlebar sliding across lake beds and out there having a good time and come up to another g out and dang near wadded up again before i even get to the second pit and um get, finally get to the second pit and uh to tell you how days it was kind of going back to what we talked about earlier uh my dad and the cowboy hat was what you always look for i drove right past them they were standing right there in the track in the pit i was so out of it that I drove right past all the guys standing to flag me into the pit. And I get to the end of the pit and, uh, I remember seeing, uh, Travis and, uh, he's all, he, I stopped and I'm like, where's my guys at? He says, he just drove right past them. You okay? And they could see the quarters kind of messed up. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Like we all say. And so we drove back and fixed the quad for an hour and a half at the second pit. And next thing you know, we're racing with trophy trucks in the dark all the way up in the top. So, we made it to the finish, but it wasn't fun. And the next year, Vegas Torino, I remembered the spot. So I, I started and I told the guys, I didn't want to ride that section. I'm like, Nope, not my deal. Bad juju in that section. That's someone else's. They're like, Nope, you're riding by it. All right. So I get a bright idea that I get onto that. Or I ride the first pit or from start right through the second pit and or through the first pit. I go slow through that section. Cause I remember where the big boulder was. So I get past the big boulder and like, all right, we're ready to race now. Um, and so we were on that 700 that year and, uh, I was in the pro class. It was my first year in the pro class and, um, I had something to prove. And so I had Danny Prather in front of me and Josh Frederick behind me. So those are oh. some, those are some big hitters. And so here I am my first year in the pro class and had something to prove and ride with these guys and run with them. And I knew I could. And so I, uh, that 700 just goes so would go so fast and we're going across the lake bed and Danny was on a 450 at the time. And so it was on the lake bed, not by any means that I outrode him or anything, but I got up into his dust and, um, the, uh, 
you know, how it gets in the dust. Sometimes you have to get off the track a little bit to make a pass or to get out to where you can see. Well, my timing of doing that was very, uh, very ill-timed. So I get out a little bit of the dust so I could see and try and get closer to get a pass on him. And um, the uh, he had no idea I was there or anything. He was still with the dust ahead of me. And so as soon as I get off the track a little bit to uh, to see, I hit one where the graders turn out and they cut a big old side road out of the out of the main trail. I hit one of those almost wide open on a seven hundred. Um, and I go again, cartwheeling through the desert, uh, going way faster than I need to be. And it piled this time the quad hit me, but luckily it was in a silt bed. So it just piled, drove me into the silt and it kept going. And I remember getting up in the silt, my goggles were all full of silt and I couldn't see anything. And this is my first instance or the guys are going to kill me. The guys are going to kill me. I did it again. Same section. I did it again, 50 miles into a 700 mile race. And. I just wadded the quad up and so the dust settled and I look up and I can't find the quad and I look up finally and the dust settled just far enough away that about, I don't know, 75 or hundred feet down the trail. I see the quad upside down. I'm like, ah, oh, here we go again. So I run over there. I get the thing flipped over and I'm like, oh, all right. Front tire broke the bead everything else looks okay. So it was only a couple miles before the next pit. So I jumped back on, I took it off. No one passed me, no one caught me. And, um, I pull in there and I'm like, all right, I wrecked again. What the hell? Like you knew better. And I'm like, yeah, I knew better, but I still screwed up too late now. And I was hurting pretty good at the time. And so Josh was my partner, uh, Josh Edwards. And so we looked at the bike a little bit and looked it over. It didn't seem like there was a whole, a ton of issues. We fixed them. We were down for a little while and fixing them and he took back off and he got about halfway to the next pit and he radioed in and said like, Hey guys, we got big issues. It's done. Well, come to find out it broke the frame in half when it wrecked oh. and all like all the way around. So the whole bike was just, it, there was maybe one tube left. And when Josh took back off, it broke it the rest of the way. And so that far into the race and the whole frame just des- destroyed it. It uh, We ended up having to call it a day. Um, we we're already a couple hours down and it just wasn't, wasn't a safe call with welding it all together. And it was just not the right call to do. So we ended up calling it a day. So needless to say the next year when I raced with my brother, uh, again, I tried to talk myself, talk them out of letting me ride that section. Um, but unfortunately my brother had been sick right before the race. Um, he'd been in the hospital for the two weeks, about two weeks before we got to that race. And like I said, I'd been riding a lot, training a lot. So I was in pretty good shape at the time. And and so we didn't really know how much he was going to ride. So the goal was to keep me on the quad as much as we possibly could. And he would just fill in in these random spots and do like a 30 mile section of 40 miles, just enough to get me, get me off the quad real quick, get a bite to eat, regroup and get back on. And so it kind of worked out where he did the start. I got on at pit one and uh, just because the time, the way the laps to leapfrog riders worked out that they're, Hey, you're riding that section again. You did it twice. Don't wreck again. Remember, long race. So I lost this three minutes between pit one and pit two that year. I was because I caught a, I caught a dirt bike and I was in the dust. I'm like, nope, not doing this again. I ended up losing this three minutes right off the start of the race because we started towards the back that year, and so we were already behind everybody and they just checked out. And I came. I remember coming in the pits and I had rode really good for us that year. And and I came in the pit. They're like, where was that? I'm getting feeling like, what the hell happened? Like you're getting worse. I'm like, Hey, I got some bad juju in that area. So don't worry. I'll catch them. We'll make it work. Uh, but we're survived. So got through that pit and then, then the race was on for me. I, I didn't really want to do anything I, ha- I could to jeopardize a race that early. So then I took back off and we ended up catching the guys and get back in the lead and end up winning the race. But it was kind of funny. I just, that one section, uh, every time it was just had something with it that, it was just asking for trouble. So the last, I, I called the last time I raced it a win, even just losing time and not ending up on my lid. But the stories like that are what, what I'll miss from racing and get to take with me, but it made it exciting. One of my favorite, one of my favorite races to race, but also one of my favorite races to mechanic, you know, to be the, 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 the pit crew, chief or whatever you want to call the guys that work that 
you know, I really, really enjoy that environment and that, in that event. It's something else. You get to chase all this and we'd have a, there's a friend of ours from our hometown that would come up and chase with us and he didn't race. I mean, now he's got like a pre-runner car that he goes and does some of those other races, but he would come just to chase it was just because it was a good time and he enjoyed it. And, um, so just, that's what made that whole race fun. You could leapfrog and with a couple riders and, and have these fun things that you would, you would do and just enjoy it. Granted the drive home from Reno wasn't always that fun, but the, the chasing part of the race was a good time. And they were all involved. Cause I remember, uh, that same year we won it. Like I said, I was on the quad a lot. I think I rode that year. It was over 650 miles and I rode like 500 and something of it. So I was exhausted. So, but we'd get there and I never knew where I was at. Typically you realize where you were at and in placing when you get off and in time and, and get your update then. And it was always exciting. And I came into two different pits. One of them, we were in second at the time and Prather was leading and, and I wanted to catch him. And before my goal, before I got off the quad and gave to my brother for a section, I wanted to catch him. I really wanted to pass him, but I wanted to get to him. And we kind of had a scheduled longer pit, uh, up before Gabs. Um, and so we, we, I'm like, I need to make up as much time as I possibly can. So the pit before that, uh, I'd ask the two pits before my, like, all right, how far back am I? And they tell me, cause like I said, I'd lost three, four minutes right at the beginning. So I had a work cut out for us and all right, you're down to three minutes and finally come into the one before our long pit. They're like, Hey, I saw some dust, but I, I thought it was a dirt bike. And they're like, Oh, you're only down a little over a minute now. And then the fire was in me again. And we took off through this mountain section and, um, I kind of was able to sneak in on Danny cause it was so tight and technical. And I've been riding worse for so much that my, my, uh, riding through the Hills and things like that was, was, was fairly decent at the time. And so I could make up some pretty good time. And, I remember coming into the pits right behind him and kind of, he just no just didn't notice I was there till right after we came into the stop sign together. I was just quiet enough, basically snuck right up into him there right before the pit. And they came in they pulled and they had a long pit schedule too, to do like a filter lid. And I think they may have changed tires and one of those things that's been so dusty that year that we said, forget it. I jumped off. Bike was good. My brother jumped on and, and off he went and took off, uh, and so that was pretty cool and fun to see and get to race that close with those guys. And we get going and, um, Jeff was in the lead at the time. And so I got out at, at cabs at the town. So I just off from there to town and then I got back on in town and I took off and at the rawhide remote pit. I was, I just knew those guys were going to be coming for us because now they knew we were there. They knew I'd made up the time. They knew we were there. They were going to be coming and they both rode really good, Danny and Dave. And so it didn't really matter who was on the quad. Um, so I took off from the pits and, um, I just put it down as hard as I could. And so I get to the pits and I'm having a good time. And Jesse, you remember him, he came to all the races with us and I'm all fired up and excited. And I remember I'd had the, just having a blast up there and it was yelling and when I, going over the jumps and stuff on the natural roads, just yelling and having a good time. And I pull in the pits and I'm on top of the world and enjoying the riding and, I was cheer all cheerful and it was funny because he's just started he's giving me fuel and he just started laughing because I was just we talk about it all the time and and uh uh that I was just having such a good time when he was fueling me and he's like, What the heck's wrong with you? You're in the middle of the desert, you're just all cheerful and happy and yelling and so I'm like then I was like, All right, time to get serious. Like, how far out am I? Because like, when you're in the desert, you always think you hear or for me, I always thought I heard someone coming. You always think you're getting ran down, you always think you're too slow. And so I'm like, these guys are catching me. Danny's pissed that we passed him. He's going to catch us. He definitely got the speed to catch us. And we pull out of the, I, like, all right, I got my phone out of the way when I was sitting in the pit getting fuel and I took back off and I'm all wound up and excited and pull out of the pit and I'm like, all right, time to put it down. These guys aren't going to catch me. And I hit the first washout and my nose touches the front, the, the front of the bumper on the quad and pull it my, when I, my body is what broke off the front hood. And so right off the bat, I'm like, okay, calm down. Don't be stupid. You got a long ways to go still. And, um, the, there was actually a lot of dangers that year in that section. And that's when Danny had re had his pretty bad wreck. And, and so luckily I, I hit a smaller one and it kind of woke me up before we hit all the other ones in the dust. And, and so, but the, uh, 
that Vegas Reno deal when like you said, you can involve everybody. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a job and they're everybody's needed for it. So it makes it fun. Yes, it does. It's amazing. An amazing race. That that race actually retired him. Yep, it did. No, and that that was a bummer because then we get to the next pit and there I was and I was still pushing the whole way to get to the next pit because I knew he was coming and I had no idea he had wrecked and and Trent being the guy he was, he stopped and was with him there for a while. And Danny was pretty messed up. And so I get to the next pit and I'm freaking out. Like these guys have ran me down. So we were all Jeremy and Trent and all the, there's all four top teams were racing right together when I had gotten on. And, uh, so this was about a hundred miles later and I'd been pushing pretty hard and like, I'm freaking out. And Kenny with tire box was there helping us. And, and he, He's all, hey, shut the bike off. I want to check the oil real quick. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, absolutely not. Just you need to chill. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, we're not going to let these guys catch me. I've been riding my butt off to, to keep us in front. And he's like, they didn't tell you on the radio? I'm like, no. They're like, you got over a 10-minute lead. And I'm like, okay, I guess maybe we can take our time and make sure we can keep this thing together. But that's when I came to find out that Danny had that bad get off. And that was a bad deal. So it was fun uh, racing with him all those years before that. It, they were really good competitors. I never got to race uh, with Prather. Um, he was always he, in the in the circle, but mm-hmm. I never, you know. It's just like Matlock was rolling into his, into his dominance um, right as I was rolling out, you know. Oh, okay. So I didn't get to, uh, I mean, I raced against him, but you know, not, not, I didn't get to race against the Matlock. Yeah. Like when him and Chad, him and Chad started kicking everyone's ass and on that Suzuki. And that's, that's when he started building his name. Those two, Chad Pearl, that's someone that everybody forgets about that guy. He could ride. When he was in his prime, he could ride against anybody. I got ripped. Yep. And, and another local uh, Arizona guy there. Yeah, he was super fast. And uh it was just I went uh, I went to works instead of racing best in the desert, and he stayed in be- uh, best in the desert and started getting mm-hmm. super fast. Yeah. One of the few, I mean, he rode that what was it, that C four hundred in desert for a year. Well, it was before the LTR came out. Remember, he raced that in Best in the Desert. That's when the Temecula team was big. Chislock and Frederick and all those guys rode for Temecula and well we rode I was riding Yamahas through Temecula. Yeah. You know, yeah, we were sixties. You know, uh, my my nephew Alan. Oh, okay. We loved that thing. It was freaking <laughs> yeah. but I was 240 pounds, you know. I mean, was, <laughs> was happened in your fight and fighting weight. Uh yeah, sit on the couch and eat potato chips and then go work on your bike and go race you know mm-hmm. uh, you know yeah, maybe easy then. yeah like the desert racing deals you needed to be in shape but it was different you could be in riding shape and get away with a lot of stuff um and then uh the people used to always laugh and shake their heads at my brother because my brother he never lifted away one never trained he'd go ride all day and do that sort of thing and people would be like how do you go so fast for so long in these whoop sessions in Mexico, like you don't train, you smoke, like we don't, like it doesn't make any sense to us. But that's what was great about desert racing. It anybody can be competitive. And I mean, the same deal where there's a lot of these guys that are they're stubborn and, um, they can push through a lot of that stuff. But it was funny just to see everybody's reaction the way in the desert racing world, it, it it's kind of a lot more low key, but there's still those guys that train a lot, do those sort of things. So everybody kind of ends up at their own to the same thing at their own way. Uh, it's kind of funny. It is. It is. Matt, thank you so much for taking some time to explain your story and letting all your fans know um, about your change of life and the things that you're doing, you know, as far as uh, taking care of your business and, and getting yourself set for your career. I hope you come back to racing. Um, your family is, is part of the race family and, um, we're going to miss you deeply. Um, you, your dad, your brother, your whole family. So 
Um, thank you for coming on ATV Talk. And please make sure you reach back out to me at some point so that we can uh, just make sure that you're doing okay and, and get an update on uh, Matt Hancock. Yeah, no, I'd love to. I, like I said, we've made a big racing family that I'm sure I'll be around. I can't keep away for too long. Um, I, like I said, I'd at least go hang out with my friends, uh, the Sanfords and, and Bo and his family and uh, Hagsma. They're just all of our racing family. Those are the, the group that I was real tight with, but uh, everybody that we were racing with, did all of these come watch them a little bit and hang out and, and check out the races. So I'm sure we'll see everybody then. Dude, I don't think the race bug will ever leave you. <laughs> the competition definitely won't. I, I'd love to compete too much, so we got to find something. Well, there you go, brother. Hey, Matt, thank you very much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You the same. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank Have a you. great night. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.